All right, Shabbos say good morning, good morning. Let us, let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Tamu Torah sponsors for the month of Tamus. Rav Naftali Tulsin of Eretz Yisrael for dedicating all of Shurim and Shoshos this month. Information of the yard site of his parents, Rav Yonah ben Avram Leib and Rivka Bas Yaakov. As well as with Akar Shatov to the entire Shir, may we Zochemer Sashem to continue and to go through Shas together for many years to come. To thank our Dapyomi sponsors for today, Ron and Lien Meyerovitz of Toronto, Canada, for dedicating the Shir in honor of their son's recent birthdays. We hope that Emir Sashem, all of their children, Shavarichos Yamim Vishanim, and much incredible Hatzlach. So with that, let us begin an incredible amount to do today, Mary Sashem, both in volume, both in volume as well as profundity. Let's begin. Today's daf is Nun Vav 56. We are picking up at the Mishnah on Nun Ham Base 55b. So the Mishnah says as follows, Lo Sikrikun There was no din of Sikrikun. Now we'll say, what's a Sikrikun? A Sikrikun, Rashi says over here, Sikrikun is Obe Kochavim Rotseach. Who is a murderer, who is threatening to kill a Jew. Essentially what the Jew does is he gives the Sikrikon property so that the Sikrikon will leave him alone. That's the Sikrikon. Fine. They both say, now there's one more piece to this, is that sometimes the Sikrikon will actually pay for the property, but as we'll see, ultimately, again, he often pays below, he, he pays below market. So the Mishnah, therefore, says that the din of Sikrikon does not apply, ultimately, again, when people are being killed during war. But from wartime and on, there is a din, ultimately, again, of Sikrikon. I will say, we'll define exactly in the Gemara what that means. Ketzad, what's the exact, so how, I will say, how does this work? So let's imagine the following situation. You have Ruvain, right? Ruvain, Ruvain has land forcibly taken from him from the Sigrikon. What does Shimon do? Shimon then goes ahead and comes to the Sigrikon and he buys, he buys the property from the Sigrikon and afterwards goes ahead and buys it from Ruvain. Okay? The transaction is void. Now why is the transaction void? Because since Shimon already bought it from the Sigrikon, Ruvain is going to feel that he has no choice but to go ahead and sell to Shimon, to Ruvain, excuse me, in order not to go ahead and upset the Sigrikon. On the other hand, Mibalabayas, if Shimon comes to Ruvain first, purchases it from Ruvain, the Chazar Velakach from the Sigrikon, and then he buys it from the Sigrikon, ultimately Mekho Kayim. The sale is a valid sale. Since Shimon went ahead and first bought out the ownership interest of Ruvain and then went to the Sikrikun, ultimately, again, it's a valid sale. I will say this will make more sense in the Gemara just a little bit. Similarly, But scenario. Ruvain is married to Rachel. Let's say Ruvain identifies for Rachel a piece of property that is going to be the source of payment for her ksuva. So then what happens? Shimon, Shimon, goes over to Ruvain and purchases the property, and then it goes over to Rachel and purchases it, so to speak, from her. So that sale is bottled. Why? Because Rachel is going to feel compelled to sell in order not to cause Shalom Bayis problems with her husband. Conversely, if Shimon first goes ahead and purchases Rachel's ownership interests and then goes to Ruvain, the husband, then ultimately Mekho Kayim. The sale is going to be good because since he bought out Rachel first, so ultimately, again, we believe that Rachel is being sincere with her desire to sell. Incredible. So the goes right to Zu Mishnah Mishonah. This is the first iteration of the Halacha. Beis and Shacharim, Amru Besavskan, Beis and said, Halokech Mesikrikun, Nosin Labailim Revia. So the second iteration of this Halacha said as follows You could buy property directly from Mesikrikun. But what do you need to do? You need to go ahead and give a quarter of the value of the property to the original Jewish owner. They both say, what's the logic of that? So Rashi explains, as I mentioned before, a Sikrikon would often extort property. That's really what he would do is. He would, he essentially, he would go to the Jew, quote, 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 make an offer. It was an offer you couldn't refuse. Why? Because if you did, if you did, the Sikrikon would kill you. 
so the Jew would sell under, under duress. I want to say that's what's driving all of this. These are all sales that are made under duress. When it's, when it's under duress, there's a concern that it's not really being made with the das, with the proper intent and consent of the seller. The second iteration of the halacha, they said like this. Jew, Jew, you could buy directly from the Sigrigun. But when you do, you have to pay a quarter of the value of the property to the original Jewish owner. Why? Because often what would happen is the Sigrigun would buy the property, but he would buy it at a discount. I, who determined the discount? Was it? Who determined the discount? The Sigrigun. And often the discount was he'd pay about a quarter below market. So therefore, again, if you're a Jew, you could buy directly from the Sikrikun, but you have to make the original Jewish owner whole by giving him a quarter of the value of the property. Emasai, when is this so? Ultimately, again, I will say when, when the assumption was that the original Jewish owner does not have the ability to repurchase it from the Sikrikun. But if the original Jewish owner has the ability to repurchase it from the Sikrikun, he has the right to first refusal. He, right, he has the right to first buy the property. Rabbi Hoshib Bezin, Rabbi set up a Bezin, and they decided, So I'll say in the final iteration of the Halacha, which is with the Bezin of Rabbi, ultimately, again, they decided that essentially the original Jewish owner has up to one year to go ahead and buy it back from, from the Sikrikun. If he does not buy it back from the Sikrikun within that first year, then halacha ultimately anyone who wants to buy it has the ability to do so. Okay, so we'll say, let's, let's now kind of bring this all together. So remember again, what's happening over here is we are being introduced to this individual, the Sikrikun, who is forcibly taking property from a Jew. But what comes out to say is he's paying for it, right? Albeit, again, he's paying under market, but Lamai says he's paying something for it. So says the Gemara, Hashta, Baruge Melchama Lohaya Basikrikun, Meruge Melchama Ve'elach Yesh Basikrikun. So Gemara says, I don't understand. The way the Mishnah said in the Halacha was that the Din of Sikrikun, the Din of Sikrikun did not apply during wartime. The people are being killed during war. So if it doesn't apply during war, it should apply after war? What's going on? Am Rav Yehuda, no. Lo danu bad din sikrikun kamar. Well, let's listen to this. Rav Yehuda says what the Mishnah means to say is that halacha l'maysa, during wartime, they did, not, they did not impose or they did not apply the din of sikrikun. Now, both say, let's, before we go into this, what's, what is the din of sikrikun? The din of sikrikun says that when someone is forcing, forcing you to sell, right, extorting you, right, under duress to sell, then I will say, what's the concern over here? What's the concern over here? The Jew doesn't really consent to the sale. If the Jew doesn't consent to the sale, then what? Then what? Then what? Then the Sikrikun is not the owner. If the Sikrikun is not the owner, I will say, then any subsequent Jew who tries to buy from the Sikrikun is going to be compromised as well. That's what's driving this halacha. That's what's unfolding over here. So essentially what the Gemara says is like this. During wartime, they did not apply the din of Sikrikun. I will say, what does that mean? During wartime, when people sell property, if it's a choice between selling property and saving my life during war, guess what? What am I choosing? What am I choosing? I'm selling the property. And I'm selling the property wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. It's during non-war time when ultimately, again, I'm being extorted that the sale of the property or the conveyance of the property is not wholehearted. That's what it means. But we'll say, if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, first Rashi in the Gemara, Lo donu din sikrikun, when it's during wartime and Mamish people are being killed and the Akum comes and he demands that I sell him my property, you know, I'm like, sure, absolutely. Here it is, wholehearted, pay me whatever you want to pay me and we're done. And we're done because that price is a price I'm very happy to pay when Mamish people are being killed all around me. But after wartime, when people aren't being killed, right? after wartime, people aren't being killed, then Lamai said that's when the din of Sikrikun as espoused in the Mishnah applies. Because now, this is an extorted sale. And as an extorted sale, ultimately, again, the halachos of the Mishnah are really in effect. Then Rabbi Yassi, Gimel Gzeros Gazru. So let's listen to this. There are three different levels of Gzeros against the Jewish people. I will say, first wide line, Gzerta Kamaisa, the original halacha, the original gzitna halacha, the original decree was 
We'll say this is talking about during the times of the destruction of the second base Hamikdash. The original decree was that if you didn't kill a Jew, you would be killed. In other words, we'll say there was such there was such a level of decree against the Jewish people that literally everybody had to kill a Jew. And if you were a Gentile, you didn't kill a Jew, you would be killed. Mitziasa, the second decree was called the Katolaisi Arbazuzi. If you killed the Jew, you'd be fined four zuz. We'll say four zuz is nothing. So in other words, things at least got a little bit better than the second decree. It was illegal to kill a Jew. Right? Now again it was not there wasn't really teeth to that to that legislation, but it applied. Basraisa, the final version of the of the decree, called the Katoliktiluhu, whoever ultimately again would kill a Jew, would be themselves killed. It was a capital crime. Hilchach, so I'll say now watch this. Hilchach Kamaisa during the times when the first two decrees were in effect, namely, if you didn't kill a Jew, it was a mitzvah to kill a Jew, and if you didn't kill a Jew, you'd be killed. Or decree number two, where Allah said, again, if you killed a Jew, it was a very minor, very minor slap on the wrist. So we'll say, if an, if an akum came and extorted your property, guess what? You gave it to him or you sold it to him, believe shalim. Believe shalim. Why? Because that was a good price to pay to save your life. And therefore, even though the property is being extorted, and therefore either the Akum is not paying, or he's paying under market, the Jew committed to this transaction with a complete heart. With a complete heart. Because we're saying, again, isn't that interesting? Even though, even though it's being extorted, it's being extorted, but what's the alternative? What's the alternative? The alternative is death. So if the alternative is, so if my choices are death, or giving away my property or selling my property under market, I wholeheartedly sell or give away my property. Done. Done. However, again, the Gemara says, the Gemara says, however, Basraisa, by the time we get to the third stage of the decree, where it once again becomes a capital crime to, to kill a Jew. So Basraisa, Amriha Idna Lishkal, Tavana Lebedina. The Jew would say, when the Sikrikun came along, the Jew would say, you know what? Fine, I'll give him the property today because I, I don't want to fight. But tomorrow I'll follow up with my legal recourse in court. Right? So we'll say, so that's, so we'll say, so isn't that interesting? So they, they, this basically couldn't work. So when there was an active mortal danger to the Jew and the Akum was coming and extorting property, so in that case, again, the Jew would commit to the transaction, believe shulling, because I want to save my life. My life is more important than my property. So I'm willing to commit to the property wholeheartedly. But again, when, by the time we got to the third iteration, the third version of the Xera, where again, it was a capital crime to go ahead and kill a Jew. So when the property was being extorted, the Jew would quote-unquote agree to the transaction, but he wasn't really agreeing. He wasn't really agreeing. He understood that ultimately, again, he was going to follow up with all legal means and recourses at a later date. Therefore, the transaction was not a valid transaction. That's where the Mishnah kicks in, Abosai, that if... In this, in this third stage, if you as a Jew bought property from a Sikrikun that he extorted from another Jew, that's when again you have all of these different halachas. Is the sale a valid sale, not a valid sale? Do you have to compensate the Jew? All the various iterations of the halacha. Incredible. They will say, here we go. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, My what's the meaning of the Pasik? Ashrei Adam Mefachid Tamid. Praiseworthy is the person who is always fearful, and he who hardens his heart will fall into terrible times. Now, we'll say, what's, what's the Pasuk referring to? It doesn't sound good. Praiseworthy is the person who is always afraid. Afraid of what? We'll say, take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, We'll say, what David Amalek is referring to in the Gemara is, means, Praiseworthy is the person who is always afraid of making a mistake. And I will say, if you're always afraid of making a mistake, then, then what do you do? Then you think about your actions before you engage in them. Right? They will say, you are roa es hanolad. If I know that at any given moment I could make a decision that results in some bad realities, what that means is I am going to think before I act. I'm going to think before I do. That's the Ashrei Adam Afachi Tamid. Praiseworthy is the person who is always afraid of making mistakes, for he will think before he acts. So I will say, this is the introduction. This is the introduction. 
to the Kamsa and Bar Kamsa story. So I said, listen to this. Akamsu Bar Kamsa Chavar of Yushalayim. Because of the strife Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, Yushalayim was destroyed. Atarnagol of Atarnagol Sachar of Tur Malka. Because of a chicken and a rooster, right? The hen and a rooster. Tur Malka was destroyed. That'll be tomorrow's death. Asaka de Rispak Charuv Beitar. Because of the side of the carriage, ultimately the city of Beitar is destroyed. So we'll say, here we go. Akamsu Bar Kamsu Chavushan. So we'll say, just again, want to point out how incredible it is that in a seven and a half year cycle, we are learning the sugya of Kamsen Bar Kamsa. We are learning the story of Churban Yerushalayim during the three weeks. We will say it is absolutely incredible. Yankee Stemmen pointed this out to me yesterday, how, how incredible the timing is. Right? I will say, again, incredible. No, I, I, just, just, say, again, I don't know. I'm not, I was never good in math. But like, I don't know what the statistical probability is out of thousands of lot of Gemara that ultimately, again, you have in the middle of the three weeks this story of the Chorban. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I will say, I just want to point out, you understand why we introduced the story in the way we did. Here we go. So the Mara tells the story, I will say. So I come to Rakhazi Kavishan. There was a guy. There was a guy. And I will say, I will point out over here, the name of the guy remains anonymous. Right? You'll see why. The ba- it was a Balabas. A Balabas in Yerushalayim. And what happened? The Rachme Kamsa, his friend was Kamsa, or Baldabave Bar Kamsa. And his enemy was Bar Kamsa. Baldabave literally means the guy who we fought with. His enemy was Bar Kamsa. Avat Sudasa, the Balabas, the Balabas, made a beautiful Suda. Amrali the Shameh, he said to his servant, Gzil Aisile Kamsa, go and invite my friend Kamsa to the meal. Azal Aisile Bar Kamsa, the Shamis, right, the servant made a mistake, and what did he do? Uh, an honest mistake. He invited Bar Kamsa, the Balabas' enemy instead. Asa Ashkechei, so we'll say, now watch this. So it's the night of the party, night of the party. The Balabas walks into his party. Ashkechei Dahavi Yasif. And who does he find in his party? Who does he find sitting there? Bar Kamsa. <coughs> so the Balabas says, essentially, Bar Kamsa, you're, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. My boys, Hacha. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Kum Puk. Get up and get out. Now, I will say, pause here for just a second. What's incredible, even before going, what's incredible about this? She will say, what's incredible about this? Bar Kamsa. Showed up to the showed up to the party. I was both like, remember these guys are enemies, and you can see from the story, you can see from the story that they really hated each other. So what's fascinating about this is right. So the Balabas who remains unnamed, right? The Balabas remains unnamed. So Bar Kamsa gets an invitation to this party. So I say, so you would have thought, what, what, what would Bar Kamsa have done? What would he have done? What would he have done? Tear it up! Tear it up! I tear up, send them back hate mail. They have a chutzpah to invite me to your party. Let me tell you why I would never step foot in your party. Right? And give you a hundred reasons. Yet, Bar Kamsa shows up. We'll say, what does that show you? What does that show you? That Bar Kamsa, Bipashtos, was ready for reconciliation. Whatever the problem was, whatever the problem was, he took this invitation as the olive branch. He took this invitation as an opportunity for reconciliation, which I will say, amplifies, amplifies the profound tragedy of this story. So if our council sitting in this meal, sitting in this meal, thinking that, that a reconciliation is ready, right? That they're literally is going to reconcile. Who knows how long these guys have hated each other for? If our council comes to the meal, puts on his best suit, right? We're going we're gonna to finally, what, what is the lotion? Bury the axe? Not bury the axe. Uh, Bury the hatchet. We're going to bury the hatchet. Same thing, right? Bury the axe, bury the hatchet, right? right? We're, going to bury, we're going to bury the thing, right? We're going to bury the zach, right? We're going, to, we're going to be finished with this, and we're finally going to move on in life. And what happens? Balabas sees him, says, get out. Get out. Amrle, holov asan, shafkan, shasina. So both say it's incredible. Now, Barakamsa doesn't want to make a scene. Barakamsa doesn't make a scene. So Barakamsa, listen, I'm here already. Do me a favor. Don't throw me out. Just let me stay. I'll pay you for whatever I eat and drink. Keep a tab. You don't have to spend any money on me. I'll pay you for everything. I will say once again, you see, you see in Bar Kamsa, Bar Kamsa doesn't want to make a scene. Top of Nunvav. Amrale, low. Balabas says, absolutely not. Amrale, Yahiv Malach to make Pagadu To which Bar Kamsa says, fine, I'll pay you for half of the Suda. Again, incredible. I will say, we're going to see 
This was a big su'uda. This was a big thing in Yerushalayim. I'll pay you half. Amr lay low. Balabas says, get out. Amr lay, yehibni lach to me kula su'dasech. I'll pay you the whole su'da. Again, the story is such a tragic one because you feel the humiliation of Bar Kamsa. You feel it, Jehoshaphat. In other words, just get up and go. Just get up and go. Obviously, for him, it was so humiliating. What was that? First of all, again, this whole, you know, Bipashtos, you know what I'm saying? You know how, like, sometimes you hear people arguing and you're like, why can't you just do that in private, right? right? Why, why, just, or keep your voice down, right? There have been like, sometimes you see this, like even couples who don't know how to argue discreetly, right? Sometimes they have, just why, why do you have to do that here, right? Why, why, why can't you just do that quietly? Hey, so, so I will say, so what, what's incredible is this is not quiet. This is not quiet. So, so Barkansa is trying to de-escalate. Right, but I come trying to say, just, just, can you just leave it alone? I'll pay for the whole suda. I'll pick up the entire tab of everything. Amr lay low. Barakamsa says no. Bose finally reaches the point. Nakte biadei v'ukme va'afke. The balabas actually physically takes Barakamsa and removes him from the suda, kicks him out. Bose, this is the story. So Amr lay. So Bose, so Barakamsa, Barakamsa now has been publicly humiliated. Apparently, this guy, this Balabas, who remains unnamed, he remains anonymous. Now, the truth is, the Rishonim point out, why does he remain anonymous? Why, why should, in other words, we named the parties, we named Bar Kamsa, so I name it. say, this guy committed such a terrible Avera that the truth is, his name is obscured from the Gemara almost to protect his identity and the identity of his, all of his future generations. We'll say, so he's named, but again, but obviously he was someone of incredible importance. I don't know that he was important because we'll say the leading Rabbanim of Yerushalayim were in attendance at this Suda. But Kamsa says, the Rabbanim are there. The Rabbanim are there. Hold Yossi Rabbanim v'lo mochu, baby, yet the Rabbanim didn't say anything. Shmamina kanechaluhu. So we'll say, obviously, if the Rabbanim are there and no one's saying anything, and no one's saying anything, so Lamai say again, it must be that they're okay. Must be that they're okay with this. So Ezel Echol Malka. I'm going to literally again go and deliver a slanderous report to the Caesar. So they will say, so again, there's so much to unpack in all of this. We'll say how silence is complicity. When you see something wrong occurring, I will say, if you do absolutely nothing, then ultimately again, then, then, then you're participant. Then you're participant in the wrong. So the Rabbanon see, the rabbis see another Jew being humiliated. I will say, now, by the way, is it possible they didn't see, you know, sometimes in life you think other people see what's going on. They don't necessarily see what's going on. But what, in any event, Bar Kamsa was convinced that the Rabbanon saw what was happening and ultimately again did absolutely nothing. He feels therefore again, I will say, not just, not just hurt and humiliated by the host, but he feels hurt and humiliated by Cloud Yisrael. Cloud Yisrael, the Rabbanim were there, they didn't do anything, they're participant in this, I'm going to go to the Caesar. So he goes to the Caesar, he says, Caesar, the Jews have rebelled against you. The Caesar says, who says, who says, I, that's, that's a pretty strong claim. I prove it. So ultimately, I'll show you, send the carbon, send the carbon to the base of Mikdash. See if they offered it. See if they offer it. Now, I remember again, you could offer up carbon of some non-Jews in the base of Mikdash. Ultimately, the base of Mikdash, we forget about this, but the base of Mikdash was not just a place of importance for Kalal Yisrael, it was a place of importance for the entire world, even though most of the nations of the world had the opportunity to have their carbonos offered up. So Barakamza says to the Caesar, try it, send the carbon, see if they offer it or not. Azul Shadr Egla Tilsa. So the Caesar decided to find, he gives to Barakamza, says, I'm going to give you Egla Tilsa. Well, say Egla Tilsa is like a very choice, a, a good animal, either a third born calf or a calf that has reached one, one third of its maturity. Either way, Considered to be like the best of Karbana. So he sends with him Iglatulsa. So Bahadi the Kaasi Shadibi Muma. So Barkam Sarbose, of course, is going to sabotage this. And what does he do? He inflicts a mum on the animal. But it will say, Beniv Svasayim. Barbile Biduki Shabai. So some say split the lip of the animal. Others say cause an injury in the eye. Duchta Dildidan Havamuma, Ulididol Lav Muma. And I will say, Barkam was very smart. What did he do? 
he inflicted a mum on the animal in a way that for the Goyim, right, for the Goyim, because remember again, we'll say, by the nations of the world, they also have sacrifices, and they also have the concept of a mum, right? You're not going to just sacrifice any animal to your deity. So what he did is he inflicted the type of mum that for, that, that, for the, that for the nations of the world would not be a mum, but for us would. It's this very slight mum, a split lip, uh, an injury in the eye. So what, say, so what happens? So what say, so now can you imagine the scene? First wide line of the volume of the mouth. Can you imagine the scene? The carbon of the Caesar arrives in the base of Mikdash. Rise in the base of Mikdash. But say, what do they see? What do they see? It has a mum. So suffer Rabbana Lekruve Mishum Shalom Malchus. So originally the Rabbana said, offer it. You got it's Sakharas Nafashus. I say, Shalom Malchus means peace with the monarchy. This is not just peace with the monarchy, this is Sakharas Nafashus. Right? Offer up the carbon. This is an existential threat to Cloud Israel if you do not offer up the carbon of the Caesar offered up. Abu Luzar Bishaiban Afkolos. Abu Zikhaiban Afkolos said, You can't. If you offer this up, people are going to think that blemished animals could be offered up on the Mizbeach. Suffer the Mikdale to the Lays of Lema. Fine. We're not going to offer the carbon. We should kill Bar Kamsa. Now, why are you permitted to kill Bar Kamsa? Because Bar Kamsa is a Moser. Right? Bar Kamsa is, Bar Kamsa is a Jew who hands over other Jews to a despotic cover. And I will say, I just want to point out, now topic for today, we use the word Moser in many wrong contexts contemporarily, right? So Moser ultimately, and we think any time a Jew contacts the authorities about other Jews, that they're a Moser. I will say, that is incorrect. That is incorrect. There are situations where a person is obligated to go ahead and involve law enforcement. Someone else poses a danger towards other people, so there is a halachic obligation to go ahead and involve law enforcement. The concept of Mesira represents handing over Jews to a despotic government for no legitimate reason. They say, that's what, that's what Mesira says. They said, Bar Kamsa is a Moser. Bar Kamsa is a Moser. He is trying to go ahead and hand over Claudisol to the hands of the Caesar despotic government. So we should kill him. We should kill him. So Amr Lahu Rabbi Zakaria, Yomu Matil Mumbakachim Yarek. So also you have to understand that many most people did not know the story of Barkamsa, right? They did not know what happened. If we so Rabbi said, if we execute Rabbi if we execute Barkamsa, people are gonna think, why is he being executed? Why is he being executed? For the sin of inflicting a mum on a carbon. People didn't know the context. And they're going to think that inflicting a woman on a carbon is punishable by karis. Is punishable by, by misa, by death. So I'm going to say, so what happens? What, so what, what do they do to Bar Kamsa? What do they do? What do they do? Nothing. So they don't offer the carbon. They don't kill Bar Kamsa. Then I'm going to say, the unwritten part of the story is what? what, what so what happens? So what happens? Bar Kamsa goes back to the Caesar and says, I told you. I told you they rebelled against you. Because look, they did not offer up the carbon. Am Rabbi Yochanan, so says, this is a strong gemara. Rabbi Yochanan says, An v'sanusel shrebi zechari ben avkalos, hechriva es beisenu, v'sarfa es hechalinu, v'eglisanami artsenu. Rabbi says, this is a very strong gemara. Now, an v'sanusel literally means the humility. The humility of Rabbi Zechari ben Avkalos destroyed our home, right? Literally incinerated our base Hamikdash and exiled us from Eretz Yisrael. So also Rabbi Yochanan feels that the blame for the Khurban, so to speak, lies at the feet of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos. Rabbi Yochanan what does it mean is humility? So Rashi points out, this is the last wide line on top of Rashi, An Visanuso, Savlanuso. Rashi understands An Visanuso not as humility, but rather as what? As patience. Savlanut. Shesavl azzeh v'lo harago. So we'll say, essentially, what's happening over here is Rabbi Yochanan is saying, the inaction of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos. Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos refused to act. He refused to either act in offering up the carbon, he refused to act ultimately again in, 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 in executing Bar Kamsa. So he calls that, he calls that a savl- savlanos, patience. He was too patient with the decision. We'll say, no, sometimes patience is good, sometimes patience is good, and sometimes it's good to see how things progress, and other times one must engage in decisive action. I would say, you know, sometimes we are too patient with the circumstances of life. And sometimes what life demands is not patience, but what life demands ultimately is decisive action. Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos, you failed to act. 
and your failure to act, your failure to engage in decisive, dynamic activity, ultimately is what sealed the fate of Klal Yisrael. Now I will say, that is a very sweeping condemnation of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos. Again, there's so much to say in all of these gemaras. The Chassam Sulfur, the Chassam Sulfur says something amazing, just very quickly. The Chassam Sulfur says, it is wrong to indict Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos. Let's listen to this. The Chassam Sulfur says something amazing. He says, he quotes the Mishnah Pekavis, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's Talmidim, right? Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, says Talmidim, Su'u, uru'u lahem derech yishara, right? What's the right path in life? And one of the Talmidim of, of, of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, Haroa es hanolot. Life is about seeing what is going to unfold. The Chassam Sofer advances an amazing idea. The Chassam Sofer says, you could only be roa es hanolot, you could only see the future for, or anticipate what is going to happen for things for which you have a frame of reference. Chassam Sofer says, if you have no frame of reference for something in life, there is no way you can plan for it. No way you can. This will say, this is why, again, we all have the, you know, have the, you, know, you ever have like this situation in life where something happens and you're like, I never saw that coming. I could have never anticipated that that would have occurred. So even though, even if I'm the kind of person who is roa as hanolad, if something is just a total outlier, never happened before, I can't, plan for it. The Hassan Sofer defends Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos, and he says, never in the history of the Jewish people has something like Bar Kamsa ever occurred. They will say, have there been Jews who, who fight? Have there been Jews who fight? Every day. Are there Jews who get offended? Absolutely. Are there Jews who threaten to do terrible things? Unequivocally. Has there ever been a Jew who has done what Bar Kamsa did? Absolutely not. So I will say, in defense of Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos, Hassam Sofer says, what did Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos, what did he think was going to happen? What do you think was going to happen? What did he, I will say, if you're Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to calm down. Barakam is going to calm down. He's going to get over it because Jews get a little bit hot under the collar and then they calm down. Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos never expected that Barakam was actually going to go back. That's Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos is telling to the other Rabbi Nikalis, guys, calm down. It's going to be fine. You don't have to offer up the carbon. You don't have to offer up the carbon. We don't have to kill Bar Kamsa. He's just another irate Jew. But I say, do you know how many irate Jews there are? Right? I could actually give you a list. Right? And that's just like right. And I say, so again, he's he's going to calm down. He's going to calm down. So the Chassam Sofer says, you could only anticipate that for which you have a frame of reference. Don't indict Rabbi Zechariah ben Avkalos for the carbon. But yet. Rabbi Yochanan does. So sure enough, the Caesar is now incited against the Jewish people. Ultimately, again, so now, so now the Caesar sends Niron Kesar against the march in Yerushalayim. When it comes to Yerushalayim, when Niron Kesar shot an arrow to the east, it landed in Yerushalayim. He shot an arrow to the west, Asanaf of Yushalayim, found Yushalayim, Labaruchos, whichever direction he shot an arrow in. So ultimately, again, Asanaf of Yushalayim, the arrow fell in Yushalayim. Amarle the Yunuka. So Niron Kesar goes over to a child and he says, Psokli Psukech, tell me what are you learning in Cheder? Amarle, Finasati Esnik Masi Be Edom Biadami Yisrael. I will take my vengeance in Edom against Edom through the hands of my people, Cloud Yisrael. Amar Kuchabrich Ubailacha Ruve Bese, Ubailacha Proyadeba Hugara. So Niron Kesar said, it is clear that Hashkadosh Baruch who wants to destroy Yerushalayim and is going to wipe his hands on me. Yeron Kesar realized that he was the agent to destroy Yerushalayim, but that ultimately, again, he would be punished for that act. So I'll say, what happened? Arak va'azal ve'igayer. Yeron Kesar ran away and he converted. He converted. V'nafak minei rabbi meir. And I'll say, but I just want to point out there's so much to say. On each other, right? Why Rabbi Meir? Why? Okay, we'll have to save it. We'll have to save it. Shadre Caesar. So now the Caesar sends his most trusted general, Vespasian. Vespasian, right? Vespasian is sent to march on Yerushalayim. Shani. He laid siege to Yerushalayim for three years. For three years. Now we'll say, so now there's a three year siege on Yerushalayim. There are three rich men in Yerushalayim. Nakdiman ben Gorion, ben Kalba Savua, and ben Sitzis Akasas. Now, say these are not normal names. Where do they get these names from? Nakdiman ben Gorion. Why is it not the name of The son stood still for him. 
Shabbos says it's actually means the sun pierced through the clouds for him. This is the story of Masechus Tainis, where the, literally, again, the wind, right, in the and Ben-Gurion, where Kalalisa owed a lot of money to the government, and ultimately, again, a miracle occurred, and the sun pierced through the clouds, ultimately giving them more time for repayment. Again, Surah Masechus Tainis. ben Kabba Savua, remember again, ben Kabba Savua literally translates as what? The sun of the satiated dog. Not amongst the most popular names. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'll say, so why is he called the son of the, of the satiated dog? Whoever came into his home and he was as hungry as a dog, ultimately, he fed the hungry. He fed the hungry. That's why he got that description. So we'll say, which, which is really incredible. So we'll say, what, what was his name? Probably, his name was probably like, you know, Chaim Yankel. But they called him, you know, they called him Ben Kalba Savua, which I will say tells you something amazing. The most important name that you have in life is not the name you're given from your parents, but rather it's the name of your good deeds. It's the Kesar Shem Tov. I will say, it's the scene. There are two names we have in life. There's the name we get at birth, Right, or by our bris, and there's the name that ultimately we earn as a result of our deeds. Right? What do you do in this world? What am, what am I doing with my life? There's a name of accomplishment. The name of accomplishment is so much more important than your birth name. Vaharaya, we don't know Ben Kalba Savua's real name. Oh, what's his name? Right? How is he called up? Says, Yamo Ben Kalba Savua, right? You know. What was his name? What did the guy that called him up by? We don't know. What well, we know is the name of his accomplishment. Because we'll say at the end of the day, that's the greatest thing that you acquire for yourself in this world. Ben Sitzis Akeses, who was this guy Ben Sitzis Akeses? Ultimately, again, Sitzis used to drag on cushions. In other words, he wouldn't even walk on the ground. He would walk on cushions. So Sitzis would drag against, that was reflective of his wealth. Others say because his chair was literally again embedded amongst the noblemen of Rome. Chadamar, so we'll say amongst these three rich men, Chadamar Luhu, Ana Zainalu Bechiti Usari. So one of the rich men said, I will support Claudia during the siege with wheat and barley. The second guy said, I will support the besieged Claudia Yushalayim with again oil, with literally, I should say, wine, wine, salt, and oil. The Chadamar Bidetsivi. And one said, I will support them with wood. So they'll have wood to go ahead and cook everything. So and ultimately, again, the rabbis praise the one who, who committed support with wood the most. Why? Because remember, again, the support of wood was the greatest amount of support. The Gemara says, Rav Chista would give over the, store, the keys to his storehouses to his servant, with the exception of the wood storehouse. Rav Chista, Right, literally again, for one kalb of wood, you require 60 kalb, sorry, for one kalb of wheat, requires 60 kalb of wood in order to go ahead and bake it. In other words, we both say, remember, you need a lot more wood than you need of the other materials. So the Gemara says, There was enough to sustain the Jews of Yerushalayim for 21 years. Now, now remember again, What's the goal? What's the goal of sustaining Yerushalayim for 21 years of famine or 21 years of siege? I'll say, what's the goal? Work out a diplomatic solution. Remember again, there is no way to go to war with Rome. Rome is bigger, Rome is stronger. But the idea is at least if there's food in Yerushalayim, we're not going to starve to death. And we can work out, it gives us two decades, two decades to work out a diplomatic solution. So the Gemara says, what was the problem? Hava buhu hano barioni. There were these baryonim. Now we'll say, what's a baryonim? Rashi says, Anoshim reikim sim Empty people who want to fight. Now we'll say, these, these guys, they wanted armed conflict with Rome. Now we'll say, Rashi's definition is very profound because often it's empty people are the ones who want to fight. In other words, they will say, thoughtful people, thoughtful people want to negotiate solutions. Empty people are always looking to fight. So that's the baryonim. That's the baryonim. So the Rabbanon said, let's go out and negotiate an agreement with the Romans. So what happens? So Ultimately, the baryonim, I will say, here's what's interesting, the baryonim controlled the entranceways and the exits to Yerushalayim. So they did not let anyone leave. So the Rabbanon, 
wanted to leave to negotiate with Rome. The Baryonim would not let them leave. Amalu, Nefok Vinavid Karabadaios, the Baryonim said, let's do battle. Amalu Rabbanon Lomistaya Milsa. The Rabbanon said, the Rabbanon said, it's not going to work. Don't do battle, it's not going to work. So both say, so this is the standoff between the Rabbanim and the Baryonim. Baryonim want to fight, the Rabbanon say, it's not going to work. So what happened? Kamu Kalinu Lahano Amiri Dechiti Usari Vavakafna. So what is incredible, tragic and incredible. What did the Bayonim do? The Bayonim burnt down the storehouses of wheat, barley, oil, salt, and wine. They both say, now what did they do? Why did they do this? So first of all, because when they do that, what do they do? They plunge you, Shalim, into immediate famine, and now there's no more room for negotiation. These are the two options. What are the two options? Either number one, surrender, or number two, fight. The Baryonim assume that the Jews are not going to want to surrender. So therefore, by definition, if I both say, I just want to point out, I just want to point out, do you know what the heartbreaking reality of the Chorban of the Beis HaMikdash is? The heartbreaking reality is we did it to ourselves. Remember again, how does the story start? The story starts with Jew against Jew, Sinasrinam. It's Bar Kamsa. It's Barakamsa. And I will say again, we always put on Barakamsa. It's not just Barakamsa. The unnamed Balabas, the unnamed Balabas, and Rabbanim, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you do anything? You see a Yid being humiliated and you don't do anything. How do you sit idly by? And then I will say again, who burns down? It wasn't some Roman infiltrator that burnt down the storehouses. It was us. It was us. It was us, I will say. The Romans didn't destroy the base Hamikdash. We destroyed the Beis Hamikdash. The Romans didn't destroy Yerushalayim. We destroyed Yerushalayim. I say it's absolutely overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. So the Gemara goes right there. So the Gemara says, "What did they do?" So Martha Bas Baitus. The Gemara tells a story. Martha Bas Baitus. This was a woman, a, ro- a, a noble woman, a Jewish noble woman in in Yerushalayim. Atiras Yerushalayim Havia. She was one of the wealthy women of Yerushalayim. Shadarte l'shlucha. So she sent her servant out to the marketplace. Va'amrile zil aisli smida. Go buy me some fine flour. So the azul is dabin. So the servant comes back, he says, Marta, Marta, there's no more fine flour, but there's white flour. Go buy me white flour. By the time those servants went back, it's already sold out. There's no longer white flour, but there's coarse flour. Good by the coarse flour. Adazel by the time the servant got back is Dabin Asava Amrla Gushkara Leka Kimcha de Sari Ika. There's no more coarse flour. Now there's only barley flour. Amrla Zil Aisili. Good buy for me. Adazel is Dabin. Havishabose Sabat by the time ultimately again he got there, it was all sold out. It was all sold out. Havashlifa Misana. So she was not wearing any shoes. Amra, because we'll say she was a she was a noble. She didn't have to wear shoes, right? She didn't have to wear shoes. So what happened? So Amra, she said, "Let me go out myself." This is Marta. See, let me go out myself and try to find something to eat. So I say, so what happened? So, so as she was walking barefoot, some animal dung, right? Some animal feces got stuck to her foot. She became so disgusted by this that she died. That she died. Kari Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said about her, Haraka bach va'anuga asher lo nasta kaf raglo. Ike de'amri, grow gross, Rabbi Tzadok, achlo v'istani misa. Others say she ate the dried out figs of Rabbi Tzadok, which we'll discuss in just a little bit. And ultimately she became so nauseated that she died. So the Rabbi Tzadok, Yosef Arbon Shnim Betanis, Rabbi Tzadok fasted for 40 years prior to the destruction of Esamekdash in the hope that his fasting could somehow stave off the destruction to the Lechev Yushalayim. Ki ava'achel midi hava mischazi me'avra. Rabbi Tzadok was so emaciated from his fasting that when he would eat something, you would literally see the food going down his, his, right, his, his esophagus outside of his body. The he have a bari when he would try to heal himself after he would fast. Ma'isila grogros, ma'yitz ma'yu v'shadilahu. Ultimately, again, I would say, what would he do? He was so emaciated and so weakened that in order to like give himself some sustenance, they would give him a fig. He would suck the moisture out of the fig. So I would say, this sucked out fig, right, is what Marta, is what Marta found and she ate it because there was nothing else to eat. But she was so repulsed by it that she died as a result. Kava Kanecha Nafsha, as Marta Basbaitus was dying, 
as she was dying. Ultimately, again, she took out all of her gold and silver. She threw it out into the marketplace. She says, what do I need this for anymore? Behind the is the meaning of the Pasek. Kaspam bechutzos yashlichu. We'll say as the Pasek in Yechazkel says that literally again the circumstances will become so terrible that they will throw their wealth into the street. So we'll say, I just want to point out before we go on, what, what's, what's the Musra Haskell in that story, right? It's such an interesting story that ultimately again she goes ahead and tells her servant, get me flour. He says, no more this flour, I have this flour, right? Comes back, by the time he goes back and forth. See, I will say, there's an incredible Musra Haskell in this, which is that sometimes in life a person has to stop asking questions and a person just has to do, right? Has to act, has to act, right? Don't ask, don't ask, just do. Every single time the servant loses out on the opportunity to purchase some form of sustenance because he's always going and checking back. What should I do? What should I not do? But say there's a time in life to ask and there's a time in life to do. And if you spend your life always asking about what to do and failing to do, failing to act, often the window for dynamic activity and the opportunity to make a dramatic difference often closes. Incredible, incredible Moser Haskell. So the Gemara goes weiter. Abba Sikra, Reish Parionid Yushalayim, Bar Achsir Biochram Ben Zakai. So I'll say Abba Sikra was the head of the Baryonim in Yerushalayim, the head of the Baryonim, and he happened to be the nephew of Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai. So I'll say, just want to point out how interesting this is, right? So Abba Sikra is the head of the Baryonim, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai is the head of the Rabbonim. Head of the Rabbonim. So again, the head of the Baryonim is the nephew, is the nephew of the, of the God Lahadar. So I'll say, so what happened? Shalok Lei, Tabit Sino Lagabai. So Yochanan ben Zakai sends a private message to his nephew, Tabit Sikra, come meet me privately. Okay? Amralei, Ad Imus Avirituachi. Asa. So what happens? Abba Sikra shows up. Abba Sikra shows up. And Yochanan ben Zakai says, how long are you going to do this for? Right? We're dying of famine. Remember again, we'll say the Baryonim are not letting anyone out of the city. So as remember, so no one's allowed out. There's no food in Yerushalayim. People are dying in the streets. Not because of the Romans, because of us. So Yochem and Zakai says to his nephew, how long are you going to do this for? Amr Lebo says, incredible. Ma'i Yavid, di'amina lohumidi katiluli. It's incredible. Abba says, uncle, I don't know what you want from me. I have lost control of the Baryonim. If I try to tell them something, they'll turn on me and kill me. And kill me. This is incredible. So the uncle says to his nephew, Okay, Abba I need you to find me a way out of the city. Find me a way out of the city. Find me a way out of the city. Maybe, maybe I could affect some level of salvation. So Abba Sikra says, okay, uncle, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, here's the plan. Nakut nafshach b'kitsiri. Right? Put out word, put out word that you're very sick. And let people come and do bigger holding, people come and visit you. So I'll say then, what do you need to do essentially? It's incredible. You need to fake your own death. How do you do that? Take like a dead animal, put it under your bed. Put it under your bed. We'll say that way again, there's the smell of the decomposing carcass, right? That way, again, based on people will think that you really died. And what's going to happen? Let her put out the word that you died. We'll say first one line at the bottom. And then what happens? But make sure it's only your students who carry your funeral beer, right? Because everyone knows about say that a living person is lighter than a dead person. Well, I said lashon of like a dead weight, right? A living, a living person by definition, uh, what's the lashon of? Um, yeah, Moses says with his lashon of uh, repositions their weight. There's a more technical word to it, right? Distributes their weight, distributes their weight, right? A dead person, of course, right? Dead weight doesn't do that. So the problem is, if people carry you who don't know you, ultimately they're going to realize you're alive. So it has to be your students, very few students who are in on this. So we'll say what happened. So Avadachi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai does it. Put, they put out word that he's very ill. Then they put out word, Nebuch, Baruch Dain, Emes, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai died. So we'll say what happens. Nichnas bar Rabbi Eliezer mitzarechad, Rabbi Yoshua mitzarechad. So two Talmidim come in. So Kimatu lepischa, so we'll say, so now get ready for this. They're carrying the coffin of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. 
They're at the entranceway of Yerushalayim. So, Bose, so remember again, the Baryonim aren't fools. Right? And by the way, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka was probably not the first person to try this. There are probably other people, because remember, we'll say, just to be clear, you cannot bury the dead in the walls of Yerushalayim. We'll say, that's right, that's right, right there are no cemeteries in, in the walled city of Yerushalayim, right? This Harazesim, which is on a, ma- a mountain opposite, but we don't bury the dead. We'll say, not only do we not bury the dead, you do not leave the dead overnight in Yerushalayim, to this very day, to this very day. So I say, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was not the first person trying this idea of getting out of Yerushalayim, pretending you're dead. So what did the Rabbi do? So So they wanted to stab the body. Let's just, let's just, you know, just, you know, just making sure you're dead. So Amar So the student said, So the, so the student said, Are the Romans going to say the rabbi that the Jews stabbed their rabbis? By the way, every day. Every day, right? Are they going to say? Are they going to say it, right? Are they going to say that the Jews stabbed their rabbis, right? Are they going to say? Are they going to say such a thing like this? Or be such a such chas l'shol? This is a sign of disrespect. So the Gemara says, fine." So the Ba'yonim said, "Fine, we're not going to stab the body. We'll just push the body, right?" Means literally little push. In other words, we'll rough up the body to see if it reacts or not. Amr lehu yomur rabban dachfu. People are going to say that the, that the baryon and the Jews push their rabbis. They right, they push the bodies. So fine. So suppose they let out the body of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Paschule bava nafak. So we'll say. So what happens now? They bring they bring the funeral beer of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai to the Roman army. Now, both remember again. It's on the Gemara before. Who's in charge of the Who's in charge of the Roman army at this point? Vespasian. So they bring Rabbi Yochanan and Bezaka for Vespasian. So what happens? Nafak. Kimatzah. So what happens? We get to Vespasian. Rabbi Yochanan and Zaka jumps off that bed, right? And he says, Pasa, right? Amar, Shalma Alecha, Malka, Shalom Alecha, Malka. Shalom Aleichem, right? Shalom Aleichem, right? So let's say it must have been quite a scene, right? Rabbi Yochanan and Zaka jumps off the funeral beer, right? He says, Shalom Aleichem, King, Shalom Aleichem, King. So Amarle, so first of all, so Vespasian says, Vespasian says, Mechayeves Trekatla, I should kill you twice. Number one, I'm not the king. I'm not the king. I will say, so remember again, it's considered to be a show of disrespect to the Caesar calling someone else king. So first of all, I'm not the king. And furthermore, again, if I am the king, remember again, I've been here for three years. I've been here for three years. Why have you not come to see me up until now? So we'll say, Amrlay, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai responds, Dika'amret lav malka'ano, the fact that you say you're not a king, I will say, Amr Beis, Amr Beis, Ibra de malka'at, Ibra de malka'at, you will be a king. Di'i lav malka'at, for if you are not a king, lo mimsu Yushalayim biyadech, Yushalayim will not be delivered. We'll say, Yushalayim is the holiest city in the world. And even when Yushalayim falls, Yushalayim cannot fall into the hands of a simple person. Yerushalayim itself only falls into the hands of a monarch. So says, you might not be a king now, but I can assure you most certainly that you will become a king. And that's what you said, that if you are the king, right? Why didn't I come to see you up until this point? He says, I'll tell you. There's a good reason. We have a problem. We have an internal problem. Called the Baryonim. We'll say it was very interesting that Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai shared this with, with Vespasian. He wants Vespasian to understand that the Jews as a whole do not want armed conflict. The Jews as a whole do not want to engage in. The Jews as a whole, as a whole want a diplomatic solution. But we are being held hostage by these Baryonim inside of the city. Lo Shafkina, they are not letting us out. Amrile, so Vespasian said, Ilu You know, if a person had a barrel of honey, and there was a snake coiled around the barrel, Doesn't it make sense to shatter the barrel to remove, to remove the snake? So we'll say, so in other words, what Vespasian seems to say, seems to have said to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is, if the Baryonim are holding you hostage, break down the walls. Break down the walls if you try to find another way out. Ishtik. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had no retort to this statement. So Karl Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef said, Vitim Rabbi Akiva, Meshiv Chachamim Achar, Vedaita Misakel. 
Shabbosheh, he said about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in this Pasek that literally as a result of just the catastrophic circumstances unfolding, so ultimately Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai lost his wisdom. Literally again, he turns the Chachamim around, and their knowledge will be corrupted. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, you could have responded. What could you have said? No Vespasian, that's not correct. If there is a snake coiled around the barrel of honey, you don't break the barrel. Rather, what do you do? What do you do? You take a pair of tongues and you remove the snake. In other words, that we looked for a way to exit the city without smashing the walls, right? You want to keep the walls intact. So we tried to negotiate a bit more of a sophisticated exit from the city. Okay. So we'll say, as they're talking, we'll say, first of the intermediate lines, Adahachi, Asa Pistaka Alei Meromi. As they're talking, as they're talking, a messenger from Rome comes. Aralekum de Misle Kesar. So ultimately, again, and he says to Vespasian, the messenger says to Vespasian, Vespasian, arise, Caesar is dead. The Roman Senate has voted, and they have voted to confirm you as the next Caesar. So I'll say this is literally as Vespasian is talking to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So ultimately, again, Vespasian was wearing one shoe. He wanted to put on his other shoe. Loyal, he couldn't put on a second shoe. Then he wanted to take off the first shoe. Though nothing, he couldn't take off his shoe. So Amr my high. So Vespasian says, Rabbi Yochanan, what is this? Why, why, what's going on with my shoes? Amr lay, Lotistar, don't be upset, this is understandable. Shmua Tova Asilach. This is a result ultimately again of the good news that has just come to you. Shmua Tova Tedashin Etzem. We'll say literally again. So good news, good news makes the bones swell. Makes the bones swell. I was well saying, sometimes when a person has good news, literally again, not only does the ego swell, but the body swells. The body swells as well. Elamaita Kanti, I say, this incredible. So, how, how, how do you take down the swelling? Look at someone who you don't like. Look at someone who you don't like. Bring him before you. So, his patient found the guy he didn't like. Brought him before him. Sure enough, again, the swelling went down. I will say much to say about that as well. So his patient said, Rabbi Yochanan you're clearly a very wise man. Why have you not come to me until this point in time? So Amr says, I told you, the Baryonin. Vespatian said, I also told you what you should have done. So Vespatian said, I'm now going to be leaving because I now have to go back to, the Ro- to Rome. I am the new Caesar. And someone else is going to be sent here. So Vespatian, obviously very impressed with Yochanan ben Zakkai, says to him, I'm leaving. But here's what I'll do. Before I go back to Rome, ask me for something and I'm happy to give it to you. Amrlei, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asks for three things. Number one, I will say, remember again, number one, the Beisdin had already resettled to Yavne. To Yavne. So he says, he says, Sanhedrin. So he says, give, give him, spare Yavne. Spare Yavne. We'll say, what is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai trying to do? He's trying to ensure the continuity of Torah leadership. So spare the Rabbanim of Yavne. That's number one. Spare the family of Rabbi Gamliel. Well, Rabbi Gamliel was a direct descendant of David Amalekh, the Nasi. Spare the Davidic family. Ensure continuity of the Davidic line. And give me a doctor for Rabbi Tzadok. Most Rabbi Tzadok, as we were talking before, was fasting for 40 years before the Harbor. Now, why Dafka Rabbi Tzadok? We'll see. So we'll see. Now, listen to this. So these are the three things that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asks of Vespasian. And by the way, Vespasian gives him all three. So, Karabi Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Akiva. So what's Rabbi Yosef? This is Rabbi Kiva. This is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Meshiv chachamim achor v'daytem yisakel. So we'll say essentially now, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva takes issue with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, and he says, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, what did you do? What a missed opportunity! If Vespasian was telling you you could have something, what should you have asked him for? What you have asked him for, Vespasian? Go home. That's what I'm asking you for. Turn your army around. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, again, you ask for three small things. 
Give me the family of Gamliel, and at that time we said that you, 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 could have, you could have asked, you could have asked for Vespasian to spare Yerushalayim. Shabbos said, why didn't Rabbi Yochanan Mezachai do this? What was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai afraid of? Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was afraid of say is that with a guy like Vespasian, you get one chance. Maybe if the request was too big, Vespasian would have said no, and then what? And then what? They would have gotten nothing. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai also knew that he could have asked to spare Yerushalayim, but he was scared that if the answer to that was no, he would have lost. So therefore he asked for three small things. Rabbi Akiva says, Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai, what a foolish mistake. You could have saved Klal Yisrael. Rabbi Yochanan say, who's right? Who's right? Who's right? We'll never know. We'll never know. What would have happened had Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asked to spare Yerushalayim? Would Vespasian have granted that or not? So Rabbi Yochanan say, who knows? Rabbi Yochanan say, this is what it means to live in the post-prophetic era. What it means is sometimes we have to make decisions and we have to make a call and you don't know, is it the right call or not? But all you can do in the post-prophetic era is make the best decision you know how with the information you have at hand. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai made the decision he feel he needed to make. Kodi have saved Yerushalayim, not saved Yerushalayim. We'll say that we will never know. We'll never know at least until Mashiach. We'll say, all right, we have to stop over here. We have to stop over here. Literally, again, middle of the Hashem. We're going to start at uh, 3.30 tomorrow morning. <laughs> all right, now we'll, we'll start promptly at 5.45. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. It moves. Uh, uh, it, does, it doesn't move quickly. But all right. We'll say 5.45 tomorrow. We'll say Mirat Hashem tomorrow to be continued. Incredible, incredible Gemara. All right. Have a great day, everyone.